Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. This is episode 25. Jamie Eads joining you as always. Hope everybody's having a great week out there. We have a fantastic episode for you today. We are going to be joined by West Coast punk drumming legend, DJ Bonebreak of the band X. You are not going to want to miss our conversation, so please stay tuned. Los Cabos drumsticks may be the best kept secret from drummers today. Los Cabos Drumsticks makes the finest tools to touch a drummer's hands in the business. The best news, almost every popular stick size is available in both white hickory and red hickory. If you don't know what red hickory is, it's made from the heartwood of the hickory tree, unlike regular white hickory, which is made from sapwood. Red hickory drumsticks will hold up to even the hardest hitting drummers. Their durability comes from the density of the wood, but they do not sacrifice the feel. Please visit LosCabosDrumsticks.com to learn more about their products. And don't forget to ask at your favorite retailer for Los Cabos Drumsticks. Guys, we're going to be joined today by DJ Bonebreak of the legendary punk band X. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that uh, X was quite possibly the most influential punk band from the West Coast uh, of all time. They are actually out on the road right now this month. Make sure you grab a ticket to go see him. DJ is just a wonderful human being, and we had a great conversation talking about uh, how he came up through the years uh, playing with the germs. Um, it doesn't get much bigger than that, folks. Uh, DJ is just a great guy. So again, make sure you go check out X as they're on the road this summer. Uh, so please help me welcome DJ Bonebreak to the drum shuffle. Good afternoon, DJ. How you doing today? I'm doing great, Jamie. How are you? It's great uh, to be on your show. Oh, well, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the drum shuffle. We certainly appreciate it. Um, I, I got to send mad props right off the right off the bat to my buddy, Josh Touchton at uh, at Natal Drums for hooking the two of us up. I appreciate it, too. I love Josh. He's, he's so good. I've known him for a number of years, and yeah, he's the best guy in the world. He is a he is a great guy, and uh, you know, I said, hey, I want to have DJ on, and he was like, let me make a call. So uh, thanks for taking time, DJ. We certainly appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I think it's widely known that that you grew up in Southern California, um, but tell us a little bit about how you came to the drums and 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 started drumming. Okay, I'll do my best. You know, before I tell you exactly when I started, and I'll I'll give you the mythology. How's that? (laughs) Yeah, the mythology sometimes is better than the real thing, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, well, and and I'm not sure if it's totally true. That's why it's a it's a it's a myth. But you know, I I had my parents took baby pictures of all of us, and there was a picture of me uh, pulling all of the. all of the pots and pans from underneath where we keep them under the sink, you know, and I'm just pulling them all out. And they used to call me the plumber, 
You know, they thought it was funny. Oh, he's, you know, he's the plumber. <laughs> and I realized later, I wasn't a plumber. I was a drummer. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I'm so, so I mentioned that also because I think certain people are drawn to it naturally. They start hitting things and they're, they're just, you know, it's, I mean, I guess you're kind of born with it. Not that you have to start that way, but so, so I, th- th- that's the mythology, but the, you know, that I was born in 1955 and, and, uh, I had two brothers, and and um, and they both became musicians, and and there was a lot of music in the house. My parents didn't play music, but it was at a time when when uh, you know there was a lot of uh, there was music on AM radio. You know, there were those were iconic years. I remember hearing you know the Beach Boys and the Beatles and you know Motown stuff, and it was all on you know. KRLA, K KHJ, KFWB, and we listen we listen constantly. And then I remember seeing the Beatles, you know, and that influenced a lot of people, including me. It was like, wow, you know, oh wow, the, the drums. And so my brother was a uh, the oldest brother, Bill, was a guitar player, and um, he would have bands rehearse at the house first. You know, like a little like guy with a hi hat and a snare drum, and I, I would always sneak in and start playing it, you know. Yeah. And it was it was the easiest instrument too to get you know you when they left you didn't have to try to plug anything in you just walk up to it and start hitting it so so you know so I was influenced by that you know that era and and then hearing my brother play in a band and they you know they would play all the you know the Doors and they would play you know Jethro Tull and Hendrix you know and and uh, you know and I started I, somehow I got some sticks I started playing on a frisbee and then on a you know, on a, on a, on a basketball. And um, so I'm almost there. This, this, this is the kind of question that can go on forever. I don't know if it's interesting. But, but the, the, when I started playing, actually taking lessons, you know, my oldest brother became a Buddhist, an Eastern Shoshu, Namyo Horingekyo, Buddhist at the time, 1967. And I wanted to do everything he did. So I started going to those meetings, and they said, oh, you know, we have a band. So I went to I went to the band. I said I don't play anything. They said I don't. They said we don't care. We'll teach you. So I went to a band practice, and they said, "Oh, we need drummers and sax players." I said, "Okay, drums." And they they sent me. They said, "Oh, here's your teacher. Here's this guy Bob Dixon. I'll show you." And you know, he showed me what they drummers always show you. They they you know here's a single stroke roll, a double stroke, and paradiddle, and buy some two B sticks and a Remo practice pad. And, you know, kind of the rest was history. You know, started playing in the band, and then I, from there I started playing, you know, in the junior high school, high school bands and orchestras and community orchestras, and we had our own rock band, and we played all the hits. And, and then so kind of just, that's all I wanted to do by then. You know, so there, there we are. I, we're at the very beginning. <laughs> I got you. Okay. So, well, you know, I, quite honestly, DJ, I think maybe, you know, learning uh, to play drums in a Buddhist temple might be cooler than your mythology. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Well, you know, the, the weird thing about, I, you know, it was, it was, imagine 1967. That was all, all the, like, the in 68. I was probably the end of 67. And, and uh, there were a lot of hippies and jazz players and they were all trying to go straight. Like, some of the people in the organization were, you know, it wasn't like a regular temple. It was like, you know, or church. It was like individual, they had meetings at houses, and they would have a big meeting in Santa Monica. 
and and they you know they had a marching band and they they had this cultural thing with you know music's important and you know and and they had a big band and 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 I learned so much in that big band you know I I started out in the marching band I I really progressed because I was into it and by the time I was about fifteen they go hey you should play in the in the, in the what's called the tribute the Tribune band you know play in the jazz band and and uh, there were a bunch of really interesting, you know, it was a, a mixture of really great players and some players that were good and some people, you know, they got me to play drums and I, I, I learned eventually, you know, I was getting better. But, but I mean, there were people in the band, like a guy from the Don Ellis Orchestra who would play with us sometimes, Pete Robinson, and, you know, a sax player who was just like, you know, in, in the city, he was like a, one of the hottest players, Alan Praskin. And there was a, a trumpet player, I think, uh, he wasn't the greatest trumpet player, Dave Blumberg, but he was an arranger, and he did, you know, for for his job was arranging, you know, Jackson Five, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, and Diana Ross, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, so, so I I talked to Dave Blumberg, and he go, oh yeah, you know, the guys are playing the hi hat with two hands now, you know, this is what the funk guys are doing, you know, like in like nineteen in the late sixties or. It might have been 1970, you know, and I didn't know anything about that. And he's, you know, and, and, and he's, you know, he's, and so these guys are blowing my mind, you know, like, you know, and there were more, there were just on the list, you know, I could probably just, I mean, they're not really well known. So, you know, one guy with, uh, ended up playing with Glenn Campbell, Craig Fall, he was, he was uh, a guitar player, you know, he was that good, like, you you know, you play in Glenn Campbell's band, you know, you have to be pretty damn good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, so, so I learned from these people. Like I was just thrown into the fire, and like, and you know, and we'd do big shows, backing up a bunch of singers, and be reading charts, you know, and we play the, you know, the Shrine Auditorium, and and, and you know, play big, big places that, in a pit, like the pit band, and you know, and talk about being thrown into it. Like you're, you know, you're playing six-page charts, and you're going, fuck, I've only been playing three or four years. <laughs> well, uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, it sounds like you were thrown in at a, at a very early age, and, and, you know, we're playing with some pretty accomplished guys, so, you know, it's, I guess at that point, it's either, you know, swim or sink, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, and, and, and I, I both, I, I swam sometimes, I sank a few times. I, I mentioned the, the, the piano player, Pete Robinson, he was so accomplished. I mean, I think he was in the in the Don Ellis band at fifteen or sixteen, and he had a band called Contraband. And and, and sometimes we, you know, he he wouldn't be in the band all the time, but he'd come in and and and, and, it's, and one time he got really frustrated with me. He goes, you know, uh, I play with this drummer. You know, you should take lessons from him. This guy Brian Moffat. And they had a band. Uh, what was it called uh, Contraband? And they were kind of a you know Miles Davis electric type band in the you know, in 1970 or 71, you know, and they're, and they're really good local guys. And Brian Moffat, <laughs> I took lessons from him, and they used to call him Mad, Mad, Mad Man Moffat. And he came to my house, and I'm this dorky guy, you know, I'm in maybe the first year of high school, and and he goes, he, he goes, play me something, and, and then he goes, wait, you're so stiff. He goes, stand up. And I go, huh? <laughs> I stand up. And he goes, you know, relax. Okay, Drumming is dancing. He goes dance. You know, just <laughs> okay. You're dancing when you play. You know, and then he he sat me down. And he goes, okay. Now I want you to sing everything you play. And and I remember one of the exercises was playing was playing the first page of Stick Control, but you know, combining your feet and your hands, like playing your right hand and foot and your left 
hand and left foot and playing something like, you know, one of the paradiddles. And he would say, play it for two hours straight and make it groove. <laughs> so you're, you're going through, you know, and then you play it on the toms and, 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 you know, and, and the, you know, he got me into, you know, four way coordination, the, that book and, and different things. And, and, and he would give me, he would give me, uh, you know, he would give me songs like, well, you, you know, you play to the, you know, this Miles Davis record, uh, you know, with the, with Tony Williams playing and, you know, learn that. And, you know, he, he was, a, he, it wasn't a structure lesson at all. In fact, I remember, I, I think I read music better than him. Like he'd write something out and I go, that's wrong. But he was so good you know? and, and it was a great influence, you know, just, just like someone who would just like, and, and the other thing he said to me, I said, you know, I, it's hard to practice a lot. And he goes, you know, take a break every two hours and don't practice more than 10 hours a day. And, you know, he was a jazz <laughs> guy mostly. And it was like, Oh, I see what I'm getting into. Fuck. I'm thinking I say that word. I mean, it was like I was totally, you know, like, whoa, this guy is committed. That's what you do. That's why you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so anyway, I, I'm kind of going off, uh, you know, on, on, on that. But it was, but that was, you know, he was one of, a really good teacher for me. You know, like he was maybe my third teacher, you know, out of a dozen teachers uh, over the years. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, but I mean, I, I can't imagine what it would be like for somebody to say, now, now don't practice more than 10 hours a day. You know, that, that would blow my mind, you know? Yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At a Sorry. young age anyway, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, that, that's a lot. Well, so, you know, you're playing drums, um, you know, early in your life, who were some of your big influences? Uh, you've mentioned a lot of jazz guys. So, and, and I know yeah. that, that you play a lot of jazz nowadays. Yeah. I play, I play enough, you know, I play some vibes and I, I'm not a great jazz drummer. I have to say that I, when I usually, you know, if I'm, if you set me on a stage and wow, there's a, there's a jazz band, you know, I wouldn't want to, I do that, I've done it a couple times and I don't feel like I'm very good at it, but I can play restaurants and I'll play, I'll play with people, I'll play jazz and, you know, um, you know, play some bossa novas and play some funk, but I really like jazz, but I didn't get to, I started out as, you know, with rock, but my, my brother in the middle, Ken, uh, I'm obviously youngest, uh, he was a trumpet player and he was, he played jazz all the time. So I started hearing, you know, Freddie Hubbard and, and, you know, John Coltrane and, you know, I got that influence from him and then, you know, and, and then, and then Buddy Rich. I mean, that was okay. That was, I'm not, uh, I'm not that he wasn't my first influence, but, but when I was 15, it was like, wow. Um, you know, this guy's great. I had a, a drummer friend, Lance Eklund, who taught, who turned me on to him and Tony Williams. It was like, my mind was blown, you know, and and uh, so so uh, yeah okay, it probably started with like a lot of people Ringo Starr because you could you knew who he was right you know and and, and actually I'm sure it started before that you know like everyone said like like you know Hal Blaine played on every, almost every record and I, I think it was uh, uh, Doug Seeger from the Knack I think he's the one who quoted this he said I just found out who who my six favorite drummers are. <laughs> Hal Blaine. Right. So, you know, they were all, you know, like, so uh, at that time, you didn't get a lot of information. You just heard stuff on the radio. And it was probably Hal Blaine, you know, Jim Keltner, Gary Chester, Earl Palmer, 
Bernard Purdy, you know, or someone like that, or, you know, if you heard the uh, stack stuff, Alan Jackson Jr. So the, all those guys, I didn't know they were influencing me, you know. DJ Fontana, I didn't, I, you know, I heard the Elvis records at my neighbor's house because he had an older brother, you know, I was into the Beatles, and so it's like, oh, that's interesting. So, so, or like Mel Taylor, I, well, I, had, I had Ventures records. I listened to those. I remember we'd get a road race set, and we'd get a Ventures record, you know? Yeah. And they always had those pr- provocative covers with, you know, a busty woman dancing. You know, it's like, <laughs> whoa, you know, you're 10 years old, 8 years old. Wow, I like the sound. Uh, but, but consciously, you know, it was, it, it, because, because the, the English scene at the time was so big, you know, I knew the drummers, Keith Moon and Ginger Baker and Mitch Mitchell. I love Mitch Mitchell, you know, uh, with Jimi Hendrix. You know, I knew who Charlie Watts was, uh, John Densmore from The Doors. And and then my, God, there's so many influences. I, I'm just blowing my own mind. Uh, I was really, someone played me Trout Mask Replica by Captain Beefheart. Oh, yeah. Probably probably 1971 or something like that. And one of the, the bass player in one of my brother's bands said, listen to this. And, you know, and you go, you, I don't know if you've ever heard that, but people, you hear it the first time, you go, whoa, you're, you're fascinated. You don't know if you like it or hate it. So, but, but I ended up really liking, really liking that band. And that was, uh, Drumbo was in the band, uh, John French. I really was influenced by him. But then I started seeing them in 1972 live, Went to see, you know went to see them with I think Pure Food Pure Food and Drug Act was opening for them with Sugarcane Harris and and uh, our trip was in the band at that time Ed Marimba he blew my mind I mean I loved him he was like you know he was classically trained he could play jazz and he could play this the weird ass Captain Beefheart music right and and he uh, for a long time he he was the guy. You know, that's that. That was someone I aspired to be. Like you know, because I was playing some classical music. Uh, in fact, gosh, I remember at the time I went to that concert with the oboe player for this. I was in the the um, Cal Arts Youth Orchestra. They had a sun, a, a Saturday, uh, you know, orchestra for students, and it was really good orchestra. And and so you know, I was playing classical at the time, and. Uh, you know, so so yeah, uh, our trip the third, and then gosh, I mean the the, the list goes on because you know you think like you, you go. I mean, we, we used to play Black Sabbath songs, but I didn't know who Bill Ward was until later. You know, right? And 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 then all the jazz people like that. You know, I remember. Uh, uh, am I just talking too much? But I'm just just I feel I feel like I drink coffee. Uh, <laughs> I. I no, this is I mean this is great. I mean the thing about us drummers is we do have such a long list of guys that that we, you know, cop a feel from or or you know, I stole this lick from that guy and it is just kind of a big soup that we all listen to, right? I mean Yeah, yeah, and 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 for me the the key to to knowing if if a drummer really influenced you is that you you recognize it when you're playing it, you go, Oh, I'm doing that Ginger Baker thing. Right. I'm doing that Keith Moon thing. Oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do the Billy Cobham thing. Uh, you know, Oh, I shouldn't try to do that buddy rich thing. No one can do that. Uh, but, but you know, or, or you know, Ringo Starr, like a, 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 a 
you know, make my stick go back and forth in the hi-hat, you know, at the wrong angle, like, you know, like I'm whipping eggs, and it'd be like, oh, there, you know, so, so, yeah, there's so many. I mean, I, I you know, like it's usually the regular, the, the same old list, you know, and and but yeah, but um, yeah, it, you're right. We're all influenced by this, and it's uh, and and my mind has been blown so many times. When I used to see Buddy Rich live, I couldn't believe it, and and uh, when I saw Billy Cobham. Uh, I, I just, you know, I saw him with his band. I, I, I missed um, um, uh, the Mahavishnu Orchestra. I tried to see them, but I couldn't get in. But that, that band blew my mind. But, but when I saw Billy Cobham, you know what my reaction was? I saw him with the Roxy here. And, 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 and I left and I went, oh, okay, I'm going to have to start eating steaks and running 10 miles a day. I think I was a runner already. But it was like, you know, like, I, okay, <laughs> And I guess I really am going to have to try to practice ten hours a day, which I didn't do, you know. I thought, you know, but 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 I just remember going, wow, with such power, you know. Yeah. And 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 but and it's funny. It's not it's not always someone like that. It's like Tommy Ramone when I saw uh, uh, the Ramones play. You know, he he had such a simple style compared to, you know, like Billy Cobham. But 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 he blew my mind too. You know, it's like wow. That is so precise, so simple, and it's, you know, it's perfect. You, could, you, can't, you can't add anything to it. You can't take anything away from it. It's perfect, you know. And, and uh, so, yeah, and, and I'm not, my, my only regret, regret is not seeing certain drummers, you know, like being lazy about it or, you know, going, I'll see them when they come back, you know, the next time. And, and I had I had that you know finally I mean since I love jazz I would go out oh, I don't want to see him but then then I luckily I got to see Art Blakey before he died I saw Elvin Jones three or four times you know later in life uh, I did see Louis Belson a lot you know early, uh, early on I'd seen his big band you know play around and uh, uh, but I never saw Shelley Mann uh, I never saw Joe Morello I love him. Uh, well, I loved him. He's gone now. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's just, well, I, yeah, there's so many good ones. <laughs> yeah, for, well, for sure. I mean, your list is a who's who, right? I mean, it really is. Um, you know, you you mentioned something in there that that I want to bring up. You know, you talked about the Ramones. Now, of course, anybody that knows anything about punk music will invariably cite the Ramones as a huge influence, right? But yeah. You were in this little band called X. <laughs> still are. Right. I th- you know, I mean, you guys are still touring. Um, and, you know, I can't, if I tried to name all of the, you know, punk and post-punk bands that list X as an influence, we would run out of time. I mean, you guys were so influential um, in that music, I want to hear a little bit about, you know, how you, the, the California kid hooked up with, with kids from Illinois in this band called X. How did you guys form that band? Uh, let's see. Uh, I was going to try to think of something witty to say, like we, we met halfway, what's the halfway point between Chicago and 
or Illinois and California. It would be but, like somewhere but, in Utah, probably. Or <laughs> oh, probably Utah. Yeah, we were we, yeah. wandering around Utah in the mountains. Uh, yeah, they did. Billy had been out here for a while, and and John and Exine came in, I think, in nineteen seventy six or so, um, from Baltimore, and then John and then Exine came from Florida. So so. Yeah, I, I guess they were. See, it was interesting. They were in the same scene. You know, this 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 uh, this punk scene, and you know, in, in L.A. and 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 I didn't really know them. You know, it was a relatively small scene. Of, you know, a couple hundred regular people. You know, people come and go. There, I'm sure they're more than that. You know, probably five hundred thousand. You know, people come and go. But it was a, it was a relatively small scene, and a lot of people went from. You know, say Where, where's your band playing tomorrow, and they would follow you, and you know. So um, I was playing uh, in a band called The Eyes at the time, and we were playing the, the Mask, which was the underground, uh, you know, illegal club that Brendan Mullen ran uh, underneath the Pussycat Theater, <laughs> and uh, with one one exit and one entrance, you know, in the back alley, and uh, I was playing a gig with the eyes and uh I was with Joe Ramirez and and Charlotte Caffey who later went on to play with the Go-Go's and John Doe X was looking for a drummer because their drummer had left town you know he had said I'm I'm go- I'm I'm quitting the band they said you're fired uh he went back to Boston and and John okay <laughs> I'll get the story out I'll spit it out this but this is how this is how it happened Billy said Billy Zoom said we need a drummer who plays a big snare drum because he, he liked he didn't like cymbals so much he liked you know like toms and you know a snare drum like a big backbeat and at the time I was playing uh, I was playing the marching drum that I was pl- that I that I bought uh, to play with the Buddhist you know, marching band. So it was a Ludwig classic, uh, fifteen, a twelve by fifteen. So it was, you know, it was really deep, twelve inches deep, and you know, bigger drum. And John Doe heard the eyes and said, you know, I think he called Billy and said, I, I think I found the drummer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this guy plays a marching snare drum, and he came up to me and said, Hey, you know, I really like your playing. You, you know, hey, you want to, you know, try out for my band and play in the band? I go, Oh, sure. And you know, it wasn't that I was necessarily looking for another band, but but tell me if you've had this experience. Don't drummers play with multiple bands because maybe they're bored? They always they're they're hyperactive, and they go, "Why not?" It's you know easy enough. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, well, I mean, but there's a plethora of guitar players all the time. You know what I mean? I don't care what scene you're in. You can almost throw a rock and hit a guitar player, you, you know, and, and drummers and bass players and, and good singers are, are kind of the rarity. So, yeah, we we get a lot of work, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 um, so I, I played with them and I, I found them interesting where, where you know, whereas I, I found that. At that time, it was it was a funny thing going on where bands would go, you know, and and, and people in the scene, it was kind of a. <laughs> one of my friends said it's a pissing contest like who's the most punk you know and yeah. people were trying to you know people came into the scene originally were just you know there are all sorts of musicians going wow there's you know uh, there was nowhere to play now there's a little scene and we can play our music you know it's as simple as that you know 
And 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 but people were going, well, I'm more punk, and you you know who's more punk, and that you know it was like a you know like oh, oh God, you know, and and what I liked about X is they were they were actually different. They were they were really stubborn. They were doing whatever they wanted. They're, they're, you know, they had some songs that sounded like more like the Ramones, and they had some songs that sounded like Benny King, or you know they were like adult books. They they, they weren't afraid to do different styles and grooves. And for me. Some of, I had a lot of influences. It, it was it was it was ecstasy. It was like wow, I can actually you know play these different beats, and I can I can you know maybe occasionally put in a faux Latin beat, you know, kind of a Latiny thing, and I can I can you know I can do these. I can try to come up with interesting things like like nausea, which is just like Tom Tom's you know head banging thing, and and you know boom 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 boom, you know, really jungly and and. Uh, you know, so so there were all these different. Uh, for me, it was you know all these different beats uh, that could work with these songs, and 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 so I would have kept playing with both bands, but but uh, X gave me an ultimatum. They said, you know, you have to either join our band or not. You know, so I was like, well, okay, you know, twisted my arm, and so yeah, so we started playing gigs, and and uh, it took it took us a while, you know. Um, which is, you know, it was a good thing that, they, that that record companies weren't signing. I don't know if they would have signed us at the time anyway. But, but, you know, the the great thing about that scene is that that it was really was kind of un, pretty much underground for a while. We got some we got some attention from the LA Times and stuff. But, you know, people, you know, outside of the city didn't know much about us. I, you know, we went to New York. That was the best thing we did in '78. We had a single out, adult books, and we're desperate. And we just drove to New York and then played some gigs. So we kind of, you know, that was the happening place. And people came out to see us. You know, Debbie Harry and but you know, people came out and they go, "Oh, here's this band from L.A." And and I think you know that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I'd recommend uh, that every band. You know, if you're a young band, try to travel. You know, even though it's a pain. And you, you know, you break down on the road and you lose money and you don't have a place to sleep but it's it's the best way to promote a band yeah i mean that's the story of all bands is is when you do that first tour but i mean i think i think it's fair of me to say and i you know correct me if i'm wrong but but you guys were kind of the flag bearer for the punk scene on the west coast at at that time you know i mean a, a lot of the you know, American punk music w- at that time was coming out of New York, you know, the East Coast. Um, yeah, yeah. And you guys were kind of the, you know, leading the way on the West Coast. And well, the weird thing is, yeah, go ahead. I'll let you. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, the- <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the first record, which you guys called Los Angeles. And, and you know, I want to make sure I mention this. It was produced, if, if I'm correct, if I remember correctly, wasn't it produced by Ray Manzarek from The Doors? It definitely was, and and the first four records were Los Angeles, Wild Gift, Under the Big Black Sun, and More Fun in New World. They were all produced by him. I mean, that was an amazing thing. Yeah, that was, you know, we met him in 1979. We'd been playing around a lot. You know, we would tour up, you know, just as much as we could. We didn't go back to New York again until probably, you know, 1980. I, I can't remember exactly, but we were touring the West Coast and maybe Texas, well, we, 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 we got a gig opening for a band at, at the Whiskey, and Ray happened to be there. And, and 
he might have heard something about us, on, you know, in the paper. That you know, we had people like Christine McKenna from the LA Times, and I don't know if Robert Hilburn at the time, but he he eventually was writing a lot about us. Uh, but Ray came to the show, and we were we we were playing, and and uh, we do a version of Soul Kitchen, which it doesn't sound anything like the Doors version. It's about it could be four times faster than the original, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure. And, and apparently what happened is uh, he didn't recognize it, and he was there with his wife, Dorothy, and Dorothy kind of, you know, nudged him and said, hey, listen to that, and Ray looked, gave her a blank stare, you know, and like, <laughs> what? And he said, you know, and he, she, you know, kept going, listen, and, you know, uh, finally recognized it, but, but, you know, I think it was, it was, I'm sure that added something to it, but he, you know, he liked the poetry of the band, he liked the music. He came backstage right away and said, hey, like, no, you know, he just said, hi, you know, I want to produce you, <laughs> you know. And we said, you know, we, I think we said, like, oh, well, yeah, you know, we tried to get a record deal, it's impossible. And he goes, he, he goes I'll use my influence, I'll, I'll get you a record deal. And of course, he used his influence, but at the time, you know, punk bands were verboten in the in the you know it had been ruined it'd be like you know oh the sex pistols are assholes you know and and, and all these other bands nothing none of them get played on the radio uh you know it's not going to work here uh that was kind of the attitude i think you know until until about 1991 <laughs> <laughs> oh that's and, funny i mean i'm kind of i'm kind of exaggerating but there, there is a truth to that and just just as a note you know i mean they did they they would play punk bands, bands on certain radio stations. K Rock would come, come and go. You know, Rodney Bingenheimer always supported whatever bands he wanted. You know, and 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 college radio, they were the, they were the, the, the those were the stations that would back up all these bands, no matter who it was. You know, you, you can name Black Flag or any of the bands that toured as as punk bands or anything, even you know, some of the new wave bands. I mean, so like new wave could be played on the radio if it was, you know, but, but anyway, the punk bands forget it. And, uh, but anyway, so, uh, back to the story. I'm sorry. I digress. Um, the, we couldn't, no one would go, you know, major labels saying they, they turned us down, but we got an offer from slash and they were basically a magazine. I think they'd put out a plugs record. I don't think they had put out the, Germs, maybe they put out the Germs record. I, I'm not sure. I don't think they even put that out yet. Um, and and you know they they said here's ten thousand dollars to do the record. That's that's your budget. And so uh, a huge recording budget for for 1980. I mean you know just spare no expense, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, probably the, I don't know what the average was. Time probably a hundred thousand. Yeah. But, but Ray said Ray said uh, you know. I mean, because the studios are pretty expensive at the time. People don't, you know, they, they forget that it was $500 a day or something, you know, uh, in that range and maybe... Yeah, not everybody had a studio in their garage back then. I mean, not you know... Not at all. Yeah, not you, at all. You had to pay and, big dough to, to get in the studio. Yeah, so 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 two things happened. Ray, Ray said, I won't charge you anything. I'll just take my, you know, percentage, you know, points. And Billy Zoom had a friend uh, who who gave us a deal on his studio, Golden Sound, really good studio. But it w- he didn't have any business right at that time. He said, you know, you can spend more than you know, 
two hours in there, you know, whatever, you know, ten thousand dollars worth. You know, he said, he said, you know, just finish it. So we we spent about five days tracking, and then we did overdubs and and you know mixing and and you know he gave us such a deal, and uh, and to our surprise, I mean, we didn't, you know, we didn't know what to expect. I mean, we. we, we we started, I remember we played the Whiskey of Go-Go three nights. You know, we sold out one and two and three. And, and, and we started seeing fans from different places, you know, that weren't from the scene, you know, like people from the Valley, where I'm from, you know, like the, you know, New Jersey, the Valley, you know, the straight kids, like the, the stupid kids, you know, which they aren't really, I'm from there, but, you know, in the, 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 the scene in, 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 Hollywood, it's like, yeah, we're the cool ones, and uh, oh, you people from the valley, yeah, yeah, you're in the suburbs, and right. Well, know, I mean, you're, you're, you're like us. Yeah, <laughs> your scene was growing. I mean, and, and and part of that was was your record. Now, I, you know, I mean, I, I, so I, let me get my thoughts straight here because I want to make sure I say this. Okay. You know, you you guys did your follow-up record and you, you had to know something was happening because, um, uh, in 81, I guess it was, you guys put out, um, your second record and Rolling Stone called it the record of the year. Right. I know. Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. Wild gift. Um, so, I mean, at that point you had to know, okay, something's definitely happening now. Right. I mean, no, no, we, we definitely did. Yeah. We definitely did, and, and it was snowballing, you know, and as we toured, it was snowballing, and, 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 and here's when I knew something was happening, was it was, we were touring for Wild Gift, if I, if I have my uh, chronology right, you know, we did that, we did Los Angeles in 1980, we might have started recording the end of 79, but, but 1980, and then the follow-up, 1981, and that year, we got we got booked in L.A. at the Greek Theater. Now, if you're not from L.A., you don't. The Greek Theater is a you know it's a famous place that people play, and it holds about five thousand people. Now, I think we were they said we were the first unsigned band to play there. So it's kind of like you hear nowadays. You used to hear about oh a YouTube star. They've never played live, but suddenly you know. 10,000 people want to see them, you know, right. or something like that. And, but, but so it was kind of unprecedented. In fact, I thought it was funny. We went to, we, we played the show and I think, I think, uh, top Jimmy opened for us. I forget. There was, I don't, I don't know if it was the black, I think it was the blasters and top Jimmy and Ray Manzarek played with us, but we, we get there and, and the hospitality woman says, is this all you want? We sent him a list like, you know, two cases of Budweiser, uh, bologna sandwiches. It wasn't bologna, but it was something, you know, it was something like you would expect at a little club, like, you know, yeah. like just give us some peanuts. And they said, you know, that's all you want. Like, you know, and, and, and I think I forget if we revised it. They said, you know, they said, well, we have, we served dinner for you. You know, they had a whole, you know, a service. They would, you know, I played there many times since. And, you know, there's, you go into the dressing room. What do you know? You've got three types of vodka, and you've got you know four <laughs> bottles of wine, and you this, this, and that, and you know hors d'oeuvres, and you get the dinner, and you know pizzas after. You know, <laughs> it's a whole thing. And we were like, well, yeah, some Budweisers and peanuts, but uh, but so I knew that something was happening because we. I don't think we sold it out, but it was pretty damn close, and 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 we were signed.
kind soon after that. We started getting inquiries from, you know, uh, Electra Records. We ended up signing with them and, 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 and Arista and all these, you know, different labels uh, were interested because, well, here's this band that no one would sign and they're, you know, they're playing this big show. So, um, and, and really the only reason we would have stayed was Slash, but they had no distribution. I mean, they had independent distribution. They weren't part of Warner's at the time. And and in a way, it kind of helped them because they had a they had a buyout. Like we had to pay them, you know, fifty thousand dollars to get out of the contract, and it allowed them to do other things, you know, sign Fear and maybe Los Lobos, you know, and that kind of stuff. So in a way, it helped them. But um, yeah, in fact, I remember we were trying to do a video. We said, can, can we have a few thousand dollars to do a video? That videos are happening, and you know, they didn't have the budget. And so, you know, that's what happened with that. So let's see. Next question. <laughs> well, I mean, I I just find all this so uh, amazingly interesting, you know, because I, I've just heard so many people, you know, who who was your big influence? X. You know, I mean, it's it's in that genre of music, it's almost ubiquitous that everybody cites you guys as a huge influence, and you know. A, at that time, you know, the early 80s, you know, you, you signed, you know, to Electra Records, you know, this is the 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 label of, you know, Motley Crue, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, you know, the LA scene was starting to change a little bit in the early 80s, it started getting more, more of the, you know, rock and roll, you know, I guess what people yeah. would, I hate the term, but the, the hair bands, you know, that the yeah. heavy metal stuff started happening. Yeah, but you guys yeah, we were in the studio at the same time when we did Under the Big Black Sun in 1982 with Motley Crue at that Cherokee Sound. Now that was a, a, a mix of cultures. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I, I'm sure it was. You know, um, but I think the scene in LA was it was starting to change at that time. Um, but you guys were making just tons of noise. I mean, you know, just tons of accolades over the years. And you mentioned a couple of other bands in there, you know, the Blasters, you know, mm -hmm. and, and uh, Dave Alvin, of course, you know, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. you know, great guy. Um, Los Lobos, you know, you've played yeah. with all of these people. Um, yeah. yeah, and we still do. It's amazing. We, we you know, we've, we're doing some shows with Los Lobos, um, you know, this later in the year and, and we play with the blasters whenever we can. And of course I play with Dave Alvin with the flesh eaters. We just recorded a record and yeah, we're all, you know, and Steve Berlin who played saxophone, he's in that band who with, with both originally the, the, uh, with uh, the blasters. Now he's been with, uh, Los Lobos for 30 some years. So yeah, yeah, it's all part, part of that scene. And, and, uh, and, and it's amazing, you know, um, yeah, we play. I mean, I'll, yeah. Uh, it, as I think about it, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these bands opened for us, and they became really giant, like, you know, uh, like um, um, Jane's Addiction. You know, they they opened for us a few times, and 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 the Chili Peppers opened for us all the time. You know, uh, way yeah. back when Chris I, Martinez was the drummer, and and uh, the Go Go's, and. And yeah, it's it's pretty it's blowing my mind. But um, well, the one thing I want 
Well, go ahead, because, I mean, a lot of people may not know this, but you you actually drummed with the germs for some time as well. And, you know, our our mutual friend Josh said, do not let him off the phone without hearing the story <laughs> about him playing with the germs. It's great. So, you know, so. OK, well, I can tell that. Yeah. And it's, well, before I tell that, let me just point out, you know, it, 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 we'd be. <laughs> It's interesting how, you know, when we were in the L.A. scene, we were part of the scene. People, people, you know, knew who we all were. We were, we were insiders, but a lot of people didn't necessarily like X. They weren't influencing the bands who were out at the time. In fact, you know, I remember that, like, the premier band when I came on the scene uh, were the Weirdos, you know. They were one of the best bands. They were always great. They looked great. They were tight. And, you know, and uh, it was it was kind of in retrospect that we became, you know, the heroes. I mean, I'm sure some people hate us for that and other people love us. But it, it just it, it happened because, you know, what happened later, you know, the Los Angeles and and, you know, the records and touring, you know, and we, we became the iconic band. But, you know, you go back to 1978 you know, when, when, when I started playing with X and, uh, you know, there were, we were just one of a bunch of bands, you know, like the screamers were a big band, you know, and then, yeah. uh, And then, and then, you know, uh, uh, the Avengers, we used to go play in San Francisco and the Avengers were a big band and the dead Kennedys and, and then in LA, the, you know, the controllers and the skulls and wall of voodoo, came a little bit later um i'm sure i'm forget you know there's a bunch, there's so many bands that that were you know the deadbeats and gaze x and the mommy men and uh the bags and you know i mean they were all the you know the happening bands at the time i'm sure i'm forgetting you know dozens of them but 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 in retrospect because we had a successful career you know if you if you just you know if someone said x was the iconic band you would think that everyone tried to follow us and we were like you know in 1977 or 78 like wow but but it it, it happened in retrospect you know i mean i mean or it ha- let's say not re- yeah it or it happened because of you know the work we had done over the years just chipping away at it um but I'll tell the germ story because, yeah, the germ, the, the, you know, I only rec- I recorded two songs with them. Chris Ashford was this guy who had, uh, he, he had the label called, um, 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 oh, no, I'm not, um, uh, What Records. And I had done something with, with the, he recorded The Eyes, and he went into the studio, a four-track studio, you know, it wasn't any big deal. It's like put up, you know, six mics and, you know, or eight mics, I don't know. But anyway, you know. A little tiny, like a like a garage, and we did we did something. We had we were on a on a single with a couple other bands. I think it might have been the Skulls and the Controllers. And so Chris said, "Hey, the Germs are in between drummers, and uh, you know, can you come in?" So so I I just did two two songs. We did uh, uh, Forming, the second version. The first, you know, they had recorded it already, and the other one was Round and Round. And, 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 and I, I always swear that, that the Darby, it was, I think it was Bobby Pin at the time, uh, thought that was a Bowie song because he had done it on his pinups. That was called pinups record. I forget, but, um, 
but it's a Chuck Berry song. And I, I go, oh, yeah, I know that, you know, Chuck Berry. And, 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 and I remember Darby said to me, he goes, he was always whiny sounding. He was a really smart guy, but he was always whiny sounding. And he would go, why are you playing punk rock? Why don't you? He goes, you can actually play. Why aren't you playing with one of those bands like, yes. <laughs> and I said, well, because I don't, you know, I don't. Uh, want to play, you know, that music. I like this music, you know. And and so I did, that came out. But the story probably Josh was thinking about is the other one where um, we came out of a, a club in L.A., what was it called? The the Starwood. And and uh, Darby says, hey, you want, I'm, we're doing a gig and, 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 you know, later in the week, do you want to play drums? And I go, yeah, I'll play drums. He go, and I go, he goes, uh, yeah, we're going to rehearse tomorrow in, in, in uh, I think it was in Venice, Venice, California. It's like, oh, okay, give me the address. And, you know, those are the days before you, you didn't have uh, cell phones. I didn't have a car. You know, I lived about 10 miles away in the valley, so I'd walk back to the valley or, you know, take a bus or ride <laughs> my skateboard. And, and so it was like, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning and rehearsals at 12 noon, so I go, I'll see you there tomorrow at noon. And... <laughs> Okay, this was this was in Hollywood. The Venice is probably about it's probably twelve miles, fifteen miles away. I'm just I, I can't tell you exactly, but it's at the beach. It's a long way away. So I, I just go, okay, I'll just walk there and sleep on the beach. You know, <laughs> so I walked. It must have taken me four or five hours. I don't know how. You know, and I was a good walker, but you know, I, re- I remember stopping at a donut shop and eating some donuts and coffee, and I slept on the beach like a bum. And, 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 and then I woke up and at the time I had this, this, this other drummer who, uh, played in the bags, Joe Nanini, he had given me a haircut. He goes, Hey, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to shave your head in the front, like a lobotomy shave. <laughs> so it's like a, like, so like the, you know, the front, uh, uh, six or seven inches are, are totally cut off at the front. And I looked like a total freak. And I remember walking by Venice high school and people like, they're looking at me like, Oh God! There's a mass murder. You know, I, I think that's that's one reason I, you know, I started becoming a little straighter looking. Like I don't want to look like a total freak. I'll just kind of look like I just, you know, wear my hair short and have jeans and a t-shirt. Uh, so I went to I went to the rehearsal and they go, Oh, I didn't think you'd make it. Uh, we have Nicky Beat playing drums. He was the drummer for the, the Weirdos, and he he played more of the local. Uh, punk bands than, than, than any other drummer more. But anyway, so 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 that was the story. They were like, I, I went through all that, and they didn't hire me. You so, know, so you literally walked all night long, slept on the beach, and got there, and they were like, oh, we, we didn't think you were showing up. <laughs> yeah, because you couldn't, you couldn't call him. I didn't get to go home and go home. You know, I didn't have his number, I don't think, either. You know, at that time, you just kind of just, you just showed up. Yeah, and so luckily, they had a friend, and he gave me a ride home. He said, oh, you, you know, uh, I'm going that way. I'll give, you know, so, so I got home, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was my germ story, you know, and oh, oh the other, uh, and there's another funny one. Well, I'm sorry, because Josh is probably thinking of this, this, oh, uh, this is my third one. Can I do three ger- germ stories? Absolutely. Well, okay. I live, I live in, in the San Fernando Valley still, and it's, it's a middle-class neighborhood, you know, and, and about, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago, I'm going to think, Graffitiing became a really big thing out here, and it, you know it's a thing that gangs have been doing forever. And you know, 
and 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 it became this thing like 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 kids in junior high school would get marking pens and you know write all over the place and I, and I was you know I was pe- feeling really grown up at the time I you know I was living out here I'm going I started cleaning it off you know and watching for okay who are these goddamn kids get off my lawn you know <laughs> you're yeah. kind of Clint Eastwood type of thing you know not quite at that extreme you know but it was kind of like I'm going to clean up my neighborhood. So 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 I'm I, I'm I take walks and I'm walking around I'm near the uh, the drugstore and uh, and the and the, the shopping center and there's some kids oh I know I'm riding my wife's bicycle it's a it's a it's a you know a woman's bike and I'm wearing a helmet you know and I look really really you know. Like who's this dorky guy? You know, so, so anti punk rock basically. Anti punk rock, but I happen to be wearing a, a Germs t shirt because someone they they reissued it, and we had a friend who you know he goes, oh you got to you got to have these you know, got to get the weirdos and you know he gave me all these Avengers t shirt and then I said like, okay you know great I love these bands, you know, like if you go sometimes you go to a younger kid and you go oh I like your Germs t shirt and they go oh yeah I don't know who they are, you know, <laughs> right. but I thought it was cool I got it at at, at uh, you know what's what's that story? But anyway, uh, uh, so so I, I there are four kids, and I go, hey, what are you doing? And they kind of slink away. You know, they start walking past me, and I go, hey, you know, you shouldn't graffiti like that. And then and so then okay, they're kind of like, I could tell they weren't, you know, they didn't have guns or anything. They were just like, you know. Local kids were probably in a band or something, and so and then I start riding away. I, I, I go, okay, I've done my job, and they say something snarky to me. So I turn around, I go, what? What do you say? And they go, bruh, 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 bruh. and then they go, you've got a germs T-shirt on, <laughs> <laughs> and they go, oh, and the other day they were speechless. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 and, they, and I go, I go, yeah. I played. I played in the Germs. I'm one of maybe six six drummers, you know. Who, who you know? I uh, uh, I said I, I said I'm not going to tell you who I am, but you can go on the internet and look it up, and you can figure out who I am. You can come to my house and graffiti it if you want. <laughs> and <I took> off. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! Oh. Yeah, it was, it was one of those funny moments. You know, be, being that's it's fun to be an adult because you can you can mess with people and you don't care. You know, yeah. you can tell them to, you know you don't have to you don't you're not worried about being cool, but you can you can kind of blow their minds. So <laughs> yeah, that, that's fantastic. I mean, I you know, oh my God, it's the guy that played drums in the Germs yelling at me. That's you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the, perfect. That, the, those, that's what they would do. <laughs> you know, that's. That's what the punk rockers, the real punk rockers, would do. Right. I'm more punk. I'm more punk than you. The, <laughs> those kids went home and got on Google, and and their brains melted. You know, I, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, they went. This guy. Yeah, he, he's the one who lives in the valley, so it must be the guy who just played on two songs. You know, <laughs> it wasn't Don Bowles. I'm sure it wasn't Don Bowles. Don Bowles has really long hair. It wasn't Nicky Beat. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, that's that's a good story, DJ. That's a good one. Um, I forgot that that was the one. I'm sure that's the one that Josh well, he, cut out the other ones, and you know. <laughs> well, he just told me he said, "Do not let him off the phone without talking about it." Um, DJ, I, let's let's talk a little bit about what you're doing these days. I I know that you're that you're recording uh, for folks, and you know, of course. Um, you know, you, you've got your um, Bone Break 
syncopators group that you're doing. Tell us a little bit about what's going on, you know, besides X. I mean, obviously you guys are, are still out there on the road touring, um, but get, tell us what you're yep. up to these days is what I'm trying to okay. say. All right. And we, and we are going on the road in July. We're going to do some shows with the Psychedelic Furs. Oh, cool. Uh, going up the West Coast. And then I think we're going to be just, to, and I think in, we're in, Mid, is it no late late August early September we're playing uh is it called the Muddy Roots Festival is that in yeah yeah Muddy yeah yeah we're doing we're doing a week and I think we're going to be in in uh uh New Orleans too and and uh uh let's see where else I think uh going to be in Alabama and I don't know we're going to be around, we're going to be touring about a week but anyway so uh, yeah, look for that. Um, but other bands, yeah, I'm always doing stuff, and I always forget what I'm doing, you know, because <laughs> it changes so often, you know. But I'll, I'll tr- but but uh, I'll try to remember what I'm doing. I, you know, we just recorded a fle- the second Flesh Eaters record with the, with the personnel from A Minute to Pray, A Second to Die that came out in 1981 on Slash and became kind of a cult record and we and we do shows every so often and we did some shows in january and we decided to do a record and and you know it's christy is a singer john doe plays bass dave Alvin plays guitar steve berlin plays sax and bill bateman and the blasters plays drums and uh so that's going to come out i think next february and i think that's on the up rock so so we just did that you know that was a week of my life and then some mixing um, you mentioned the bone break, bone break syncopators. I, you know, I'm a vibe player and I was, you know, I'm not doing that band anymore, but, but probably I think that started in, in 2000. Uh, it was kind of a, uh, a, a, like a, um, 30 swing, but, but, uh, band with TK Smith. He was with big Sandy and Jeremy Wakefield on lap steel, uh, Wally Hersom on bass. He played with big Sandy too. And Dave Stuckey. And then later, Jonathan Stout to go for for uh, T.K. Smith, and we were just like a you know, uh, kind of a country swing sound because Jeremy Wakefield, you know, was was a lap steel player, a really great player. Uh, so I did that for a number of years. We we just actually we played some shows last year, and I think that that's going to be it because T.K. Smith moved to the desert, <laughs> oh, okay. and now he's you know he's 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 building guitars. Jeremy Wakefield moved to Portland. And uh, and then I had another band called Orchestra Superstring, which was like a Cal Jader type band, and we played from I don't know what year it was, 1997 until probably about four or five years ago, and and, and uh, had a couple records out on Dionysus, and uh, let's see, um, and with great players, you know, I mean, it's so great to play vibes because you play, you get to play with great drummers, you know, and like. Uh, Orchestra Superstring is, you know, Latin percussion. So, I mean, I don't know if anyone will know these names, but, you know, Danny Frankel played bongos and Deborah Dobkin uh, played congas and Don Heffington uh, played congas and Victor Bassetti was, uh, played percussion and, uh, you know, he played with Lobos for a number of years and uh, Mike Bolger and Woody Jackson, you know, all great players. So we, okay, so those are the bands we're not, I'm not playing with anymore. Uh, I, I play with Dead Rock West. We just put out a record called More Love. It was produced by John Doe. Um, Dave Way was the, uh, was the engineer. 
and and I did, I've done a couple of records. One was uh, almost well, it was kind of almost nominated for Grammy. It was like in the second tier, almost you know, like like it was almost there. It was, it was called "It's Everly Time." It was an Everly Brothers tribute, which uh, was really good, really good. Um, I don't know. It came out three, three or four years ago, but it was probably recorded eight years ago. Um, let's see what other. Uh, so I play with them constantly. Uh, I'm playing sometimes with the Devil's Brigade. This will go on and on. I'll, I'll stop in about two minutes. But <laughs> Devil's Brigade is Matt Freeman from Rancid, the bass player. It's his solo project. I did a record with him. God, it must have been little, eight years ago or something. But we we play every so often. We're going to try to play you know, pretty soon. Uh, but that's, you know, Matt, Matt Freeman. And then usually Tim Armstrong, the singer will, you know, he recorded with us and he'll, he might join us. And then Rob Malucky is the guitar player, but okay. Then we decided it, I had a band with X scene called Antichrist. That came, it was in the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. And that was with Matt Freeman, myself and, and X scene. And we said, why don't, why don't we back up X scene and play as Antichrist, you know, with Matt Freeman and, Rob Malucky and myself, and I think we're going to do that. We've been we've been doing rehearsals, so I think we're going to play some LA shows because that record was kind of lost. You know, no one no one knew it was there. It just kind of came out, and it's a really good record. You know, like really kind of straight ahead punk rock. Xene was playing guitar on the record. You know, and you're going, what? I didn't know she could play that well. Uh, so yeah, that's that, that, we're going to do that. And then I'm working on a, a recording project with my friend John Mormon, and who uh, he lives in uh, San Francisco, and he's playing with Nat, Matthew Sweet, guitar player, uh, as a guitar player. And we've been working on this <laughs> this solo record for about three years, and, and we've got uh, uh, Victor Krumenacker from from Camper Van Beethoven playing bass, and Willie Aaron on keyboards, and it's going to come out. And, and then I played with another band called The World Takes out of Philadelphia. <laughs> we put out some records, but we opened for the Me Puppets for a couple weeks. Got Stephen Maglio and and really great songwriter. And uh, let's see what what other bands. You're Gosh, I had a band. I, I'm all over the place. Yeah, I, busy I know, just, guy, man. Golly, busy guy. What, I mean, it's funny. I've been not as busy the last few months because I took time off, but. You know, I, I I get bored, and I just and people say you want to play with? Oh, sure. You know, yeah. and I had I had like yeah. I I, I mean I, I probably I could talk for about ten hours, and you go okay. What's the band? I'll start with the letter A. And then <laughs> I'm at the letter C now. <laughs> well, but I mean it's good. You know, I mean I it, it's good that you that you're staying busy. Um, you know, and I. I looked at your website, you know, doing a little bit of research, you know, before we jumped on the phone. Um, you know, the list of folks that you've played with is super impressive. And and I know that you are also, um, you know, if somebody's looking um, to have drum tracks done, you have a, a full service, you know, kind of studio set up. If you're happy to put drum tracks on somebody's song, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I, I, we just did a track last week and it, it kind of comes and goes. Sometimes, you know, we get a lot of action, sometimes not, you know. I did a whole record with this guy, Dan Sartain, and I did this record with Super Fizzy. But, you know, we do like a track at a time or a couple tracks. And, yeah, you'd have to look under, you could look under my website, djbonebreak.com, and there's information, there's a little information um, about that. And, and, you can also uh, see what I do. Uh, I started to 
wanted to do at home like most people do. You know, they have a, a home setup, and I was just so slow. I didn't, you know, with the I, I bought the basic Pro Tools and, I, and and some mics, and I wasn't I didn't get a very good sound, and I wasn't I didn't like editing, and I was you know I hate computers. So so what I did, I called up my friend uh, 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 Travis Dickerson, who I'd been recording with a lot, you know, over the years, and I said, hey, you know, you've got a a nice drum kit at the studio. You have, I mean, it's a real studio with a, you know, a 48 track board or something, you know, with all these, all this gear, you know, great space, uh, you know, wonderful preamps and, you know, just a, like a real studio and, and the drum set's always set up. So I said, why don't we do it together and, and we'll split it and we can, you know, he can do all the technical stuff and it's really easy for me. I just listen to the song and I, play to it until I get it right and uh, you know and, and it's it's always been we charge $325 a song and and you know and I think for some people that's expensive they go well I can get my buddy to do it for a hundred he'll fly, you know and 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 in some ways it's really cheap you know if you know and and so but you know we each split about 150 bucks you know we do a four-hour session. It might take us an hour. It might take us four hours. You know, but but you know, we get it right. And and the drum set always sounds good. You know, and 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 uh, everyone that who's worked, you know, who's who's worked with us has really liked it. So and Travis will mix the thing just right for you, and you know, do all the technical stuff. And and uh, so yeah, you can either look under djbonerick.com or uh, uh, oh, I forget what Travis Dickerson Studios. I think it's. Oh gosh, I don't know. Uh, uh, TDS or I forget. I, ta- I forget what how he does it. But if you look under Travis Dickerson Studios, you can get information and pictures of the studio and all his equipment. Cool. But uh, uh, so yeah, I'm doing that. And um, let's see what what else can I tell you? Uh, oh yeah, and in and, and the resume, yeah. It's, it's, uh, some of, some of the stuff you you know. There are people I actually played with a lot, and other people I just happen to be rubbing shoulders with, you know. Well, it's okay. And, it all it all counts. <laughs> but like I said, I was thinking, you know, I did this thing, the Harry Smith Project. It was a Will, Hal Wilner uh, thing. God, it must have been 10 or 15 years ago now, and all these people were on it, you know. And and I was in the backup band, you know. I was, like, I was a second drummer. Stephen Hodges was a great drummer. Uh, first drummer, but they had they had Larry Taylor on bass and Ralph Carney on sax and Smokey Hormel, who I played with before. He played with Beck, but I played with John. I played with John Doe with him in John Doe and Bill Frizzell. And I was in that band. I brought a marimba and drums, and it was like, you know. But but all the list is you know. I and my, I was putting my resume together, and I and my wife goes, "Why don't you put Philip Glass on?" I go, "Well." I didn't really. I only played a little marimba behind him when he came on stage. You know, I don't. I don't I, you know, really timidly. I don't know. You know, I think she put him on. So that's really that's stretching it. But but Rufus Wainwright, and he was on that show. I actually played. You know, I was in his band uh, right when his album was coming out. He was playing local gigs, and I, I flew to Montreal, played a gig with him in his hometown because I was, I was replacing uh, Joe Berardi, who's the drummer. You know, and we were just playing lo- like local gigs. So, you know, so, so and, and, and the other one is uh, uh, um, John Lee Hooker. Now, and I didn't actually play at the time. I played with uh, on, a, on a tribute 
it was a Doors sponsored tribute record, and and uh, I can't remember the name of the record now. It came out about in 2000 or something, and uh, we were doing uh, um, Roadhouse Blues, and uh, uh, you know Ray Manzarek was playing in it, and and uh, uh, God, who, uh, uh, Flea was playing bass, and Robbie Krieger. How's that for, you know, oh how's that God. for all star? And, and of course, they were really relaxed about it. You know, it was like it was at, at uh, Oceanway Studios, one of the biggest studios here. And we came in there, and and and, and Ray and Raymond Eric and Flea, they're going, "Hey, let's watch the Lakers." And so we went into the back room, you know, into the whatever it's called, and and uh, we're watching the Lakers and eating sushi. And then and then you know for a while, and they're getting into it, and they're like, "Why don't we play the track?" <laughs> That's... So we go in. It's a pretty easy song. I used to play it all the time with with, with uh, Top Jimmy, and and we played a couple takes, and that was. But they their idea was to have John Lee Hooker sing it, and they brought it up north, and he was almost you know he was he died soon after that, and they couldn't get him to sing all the words. You know, he was like mumbling some of the stuff. So they ended up putting. Uh, mixing his voice, like having going back and forth between his voice and the original tra- takes of Jim Morrison. Oh wow! <laughs> so, so I'm backing up Jim Morrison <laughs> and John Lee Hooker, and to make it even better, I'm going on and on. I'm sorry, but but to make it even better. Some some fan made a video of, of they they showed classic uh, Doors footage, and it was a track of me playing drums. So it's like I was pl- I was playing Hal Blaine to to uh, uh, John Densmore, and I felt I felt like funny about that. Like, I know it's me, but that doesn't, you know. Oh my God! That's I, just not. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I can only imagine. You know, in, in my wildest dreams, I couldn't imagine that happening to me. And and I'm, I, you know, I know that you probably feel the same way. Like, what planet am I on right now? Right? I mean, I, I know it, it's so crazy when you're in a room with people like that. And the, the other thing that got me, oh, this was just the, this was the most fantastic thing, is we played the track, and then Ray was produ- um he was playing producer. Um, trying to get uh, Robbie Krieger to play a, an, another guitar solo. And I'm sure the one he did originally was fine. And Robbie plays this amazing solo, and I'm I'm sitting just quietly in the back, you know, just like, like you know, I'm afraid to say anything. I, you know, there's nothing I can say. And then Ray goes, and we're, they're using tape, you know, so Ray goes, yeah, that was good. You can do a better one. I'm, I'm, and, and he, you know, he's erasing it. It's not like Pro Tools where you do... 50 versions and you can go back and <laughs> right. no, it's like he's going over that track. And I'm going, Oh no, Ray, you don't know what you're doing. Oh. <laughs> and then he did another track and I forget if he did one or two. Well, it wasn't very many. And then I realized, Oh, Ray knows what, what Robbie can do. Yeah. He knows what he, and it was much better. It was, you know, but, but for me not knowing like, no, it was perfect before. No, you can't. No one can play better than that. God, <laughs> you know, that's... things like that. That that's, that was one of the great moments. That made me understand how, how talented the Doors were. You know? Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. That's a great story. Um, well, DJ, you know, I want to be respectful of your time. And, um, you know, one of, the, one of our traditions on this show uh, here on the Drum Shuffle, we always ask our guests for a good piece of advice. So, you know, your career is just legendary. What advice can you offer to, to other drummers, other musicians? Uh, what have you learned over the last, you know, 40 years doing this stuff? 
Well, I mean, I could be cynical. and <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't we all? Well, it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, when I, when I, uh, it's a name drop. I was, I was taking lessons from, from Murray Spivak, the snare teacher here. He would say, he wouldn't say anything unless you were going, unless you, you said, well, I, I'm having a hard time getting gigs. He would go, is there something you're good at besides drumming? Like, are you good at accounting? Or it's the worst <laughs> business to be in in the world. The only good music uh, a gig is a, with a symphony because you, you, you get all the benefits and it's a regular gig. So no, I just thought that was funny. But, but my, my actual advice, um, because, you know, the world is changing all the time with, you know, how you get music out there and whether you can make a living. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little cynical about that because I see, you know, uh, I see bands, they have, the, you know, young kids struggle. And, and I remember, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to go on too long again, but I was, I was going to say, you know, I remember I have a daughter who's 24, and I remember she was getting into some of the new bands, and and one was Tame Impala before, you know, they had a thing on the radio, on the, on the, you know, for a commercial and all that. But at the time, you know, you couldn't buy the one record, you know, she said, Go, buy me the record at, at you know, the, 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 at, at uh, um, you know, the record store and, and you couldn't, you couldn't find it. And then suddenly they're playing a big place that holds thousand people. So, so, um, I'll get to the point, but, but so I see that it can happen. You can play live music and you can make a living, uh, in a band. But my advice is, is kind of generic, like, um, you know, study hard, <laughs> you know, uh, like be in shape, practice, you know, if you're a drummer, whatever it takes to, you know, the physical side of it, you know, practice your stick control and the, on your drum set and, you know, learn whatever you can. Of course, that side. But, but then the, the other step is like, you know, sh- show up on time. Okay. Show up prepared. Know the music. Don't have a, an attitude, you know, uh, and, you know, bathe. Like the simple things, like you know, it's so funny because you lose a gig, you know that guy he smells, or the you know he's a really good drummer, but you know he he's he's kind of full of himself. He, he doesn't learn the music, you know. I mean, it's, so it's it's just the you know the really basic stuff, you know. Do the work, show up on time, have a good attitude, you know that kind of the stuff that your parents told you and you didn't believe, but you think it doesn't doesn't apply to rock and roll. You know, humans are humans. They don't want to deal with that stuff. They don't want you to, you know, they, want, they don't want to deal with you arriving an hour and a half late because that, that um, takes away their time. And it's, and it's interesting. I, really, I, I kind of, I've learned that I used to play in, in, you know, just community orchestras, but if there are 70, 60 people in the orchestra and one person's late and they come in, you know, the conductor has to stop. So how many... How many minutes, you know, times 60, how many minutes have you wasted? Just by, by wasting three minutes, you know, 180 minutes, Right. you know, you've wasted. So, yeah, that stuff. How's that? Show up on time. Don't smell. <laughs> I, I think it's great. However, you know, I, I'm having one of those surreal moments, DJ. I'm going to be honest with you, okay? I'm having a surreal moment that a legend of punk rock just said, do all the stuff your parents told you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I mean, it, it's what it, uh, you know, it's a funny thing, but, but you know... <laughs> You know, when you're when you're younger and you go, well, I'm a punk rocker, and I, you know, 
but uh, you can do all that. And people people make careers like oh they're always fucked up and they but but you know what, what you know what happens they either die you know either uh, drug overdose or they fall in front of a truck or you know I mean it's great for legendary you know it's it's great for stories but but and and, and, and but but generally most people don't appreciate that they try to get away you know they kind of like oh um, I'm not going to hang out with this person. If you have any desire to live, you know, yeah. so it, it, it is a, it is a, um, uh, what's the word? Um, a, a, a paradox, you know, to, 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 to be like to be in you know, a punk band or be, be in a band like X, you know, you have to be professional. It seems, it seems like an odd thing, you know, but no one appreciates if, you know, if you, the lead singer is six hours late showing up to the concert. I won't say any names. I won't mention any names. But uh, no one likes that. And, and I'll tell you, you know, and I'm going on for just forever. You, you, uh, you Your audience is going to fall asleep. But, but um, I'll tell you, you know, the X is, is a really professional band. You know, I, I think we've only, we've missed one show we were there and we couldn't play because Billy was so sick. It was in Moscow, Idaho, and he had such a flu, he couldn't get out of bed. And 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 I think that's the only show we've we've missed that, you know, where we were there. There's a couple where we said oh, we're going to cancel that because it's you know for a reason. But but you know we're professional. We show up, and 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 that's what you have to do, you know. Like we even did a knitters thing where John Doe couldn't get on the flight and oh there was another ex, another ex one john couldn't get to the show and we had to cancel it in ventura because there was an accident on the highway where he was coming to but and we had to reschedule okay there were two but um yeah we had a show where, where john doe didn't show up in the knitters and and we had to do it as a quartet and you know dave alvin's going i think i, I can sing this song and next thing's going okay i can sing this without john and uh Anyway, um, I just I'll just keep talking. I haven't had any coffee, but I uh, I had some tea. I'm sorry, uh, uh, DJ. <laughs> this has been absolutely great, and it's been my honor having you on the show. And you know, it goes without saying, you're welcome on this program anytime your schedule allows. I hope you guys have a great run out there starting in July. Um, Thank you. Come back and talk to us sometime. We would really appreciate it. Okay, I would love to. I would love to do that. And, and uh, uh, oh, I'd like to thank my sponsors, Natal Drums and Zildjian Cymbals and Aquarian Drumheads. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we can't do any of this stuff without those guys, right? I mean, okay, that's, yes. at, at the end of the day, we, we rely on those guys to help us keep going. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah, the best and uh so there you go and thank uh josh touching again and and thank you jamie for letting me ramble on I, I i vowed not to just keep going and going and you know have more of a give and take but i i get excited <laughs> this is great i mean no, hey they listen to me every week dj they want to hear from you i promise so this was fantastic so uh we'll talk to you real soon again great run out there and thanks so much for your time dj okay take care jamie all right see we'll you, see bye. you now all right. All right, guys, that's going to do it for episode 25. Thanks so much for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. We can't do any of this without every single one of you. 
Go ahead, as always, hit that subscribe button. Leave us a rating or review. It helps us tremendously as we continue to grow. We really do appreciate it. You're not going to want to miss any of the episodes we have coming up. Next week, I'm going to be joined by Master Educator Rob Ryan out of Canada. Rob is a phenomenal drummer. Just the technical proficiency uh, that he shows is is unparalleled, quite honestly. And, and again, master educator up in Canada, Rob Ryan, next week. Uh, so thanks so much for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers. Cheers.